0: On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, we have comedian Liz Mealy, and we talk about so many things today. We talk about why she went into therapy at the age of 24 to deal with her feelings of, of sadness and, and being miserable and, and shut down and and what she's learned and how she's pulled herself out of it. She's 34 years old today and, and in a healthy relationship and and. What are some of the tools and, and skills and strategies that she's learned to to cope with her emotions uh, at this point? We talked about how to deal with feelings of inadequacy, right? That 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 feeling of like I'm not good enough and and I don't belong here. Uh, we also got into like how to motivate yourself. A lot of us uh, might feel unmotivated to to get the day started or struggle with getting out of bed, and we so we go into that. And most importantly, the, the other two things we talk about is, you know, when she was young, she she had a, a slight suicide plan, and we don't go into details about that, obviously, but but we do talk about what pulled her out of that out of that dark inside of that depth, uh, so that she is now a thriving person at at thirty four, and uh, and then we talk about how to set boundaries you know, we all have these non-negotiables in our relationships and, and it's really being able to set healthy boundaries, which to some people may sound selfish, but we talk about why it's good to be, to have a level of selfishness in your relationship so that you can thrive and, and, and improve your mental health. So we cover a lot of things from beginning to end. It's really exciting and a, a lot of fun. So Let's get into it. And oh 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 of course, if you have not yet been to ThriveWithLeo.com, go check that out for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. With that said, let's get into the episode.
1: It's been a bit, buddy.
0: It's been a long time. Mealy, where you been?
1: Uh, you know, up until about a month ago everywhere. But now, now just just staying put. No reason. Just decided to stay put.
0: You're Fair. you're not a stand put person.
1: <laughs> um, well, tell uh, tell the world that they don't they don't trust me anymore. But but My I travels.
0: I see you still. Uh, you know, you, I saw you recorded live. Like you had an on stream um, comedy show.
1: Yeah, I I you know I don't want to do nothing and I want to keep creating. So I put together like almost like a new material night on this, um, you know, virtual website. So it's, you know, just like zoom, but this one kind of does everything for you. There's pros and cons to it. There's things that I really liked about it and things that I didn't. Um, I'm actually going to do like almost like a round table version of that with Carmen and my friend Adrian, I think in two weeks, then pretty much try to do the same thing, but on zoom, because I don't think with stage it, I think it can only be one person and they're not getting back to me about it being other people, but it was just like, you know, I don't want to fucking not tell jokes, but I also don't want to do my tried and true material because that's not fun either.
0: Right, right, right. You want to? So it's like, uh, how do I grow uh, during this time? Right.
1: Yeah, like yeah. And how do I like to me to do a joke that I know works to silence is depressing, as opposed to. I have jokes I just wrote that I haven't tried on anybody and let me get inventive in how I'm going to work it out. And it actually went really well. Like I had 93 people come there's like a little chat room. So I kind of like, I was like, what I think I want to do is have you guys um, say like, like say like the line that you like with like a LOL or ha ha ha. So if I was just like, all men are cookie dough and then they'd be like cookie dough, ha 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 ha. And it was, it was super helpful. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure we're all the same, but I, While I have stuff that's pre prepared, I riff a lot and I'll just kinda like like, um what do you call it? Like just go on tangents and that's how I grow. Just as much as I grow from hearing what the audience likes and doesn't like, I'll grow just from talking out of my ass on a show where I I don't feel as much pressure to be punchy and I that it worked. So I had to re listen to the audio and edit and revise, but you know, clearly it's a little bit of a backwards way of doing it, because hearing where people, but like I got tons of messages both in the chat and then on social media afterwards, being like, "Oh, I liked your passwords joke. I liked your whatever joke or that Amanda story. I can see it. It's so funny." So just to kind of almost see where to focus my energy is helpful.
0: You know, well, I love two things that that you've mentioned. You, you go, you talked about like what helps you grow. Um, and then I'm getting an echo in the background. Is that, are you, I
1: don't, I can lower the volume. Maybe that'll help. Is that uh, better?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, you know, you, you, talked about like, how can you grow? And then you also talked about like, what, what are the areas that you can, uh, you know, be effective? Uh, you know, you inspired me, uh, because I just started online therapy and I remember you oh. had. When we, when we did the military tour, you said you, you had a therapist. Um, and sometimes, because of your travels, you, you have to meet with her online. I was like, that's weird. Um, <laughs> and now that I do it, I'm like, this is perfect. Even without the quarantine, I, I'd prefer it this way.
1: That's awesome. That, may, oh, that makes me so happy. Like It's changed my life, and I think it's so helpful. And I think even if... Uh, even if you feel like things like you don't need that kind of help, I think everybody kind of realizes how much, how nice it would be to have it. Even if you're not somebody like I, you know, I got into therapy because I was losing my mind. But I don't think you need to be at that point either to reap the benefits of it.
0: How long have you been in therapy?
1: Have we started, by the way?
0: We have started. We're we're in oh. this. We're we're like oh, in I, a swamp. Oh. There's like the, the the cars. The ship has sailed the gas the car is fueled
1: up yeah no uh, the yeah great um uh what was the question again sorry uh
0: you you were talking about you know you were losing your mind and that's what got you into therapy uh how long you been in therapy
1: so i went for the first time when i was 24 i am 34 now um And so I went for three, I mean, basically my boyfriend at the time and my best friend were like, there's something wrong um, and you need to fix it. And while I was very anti-therapy, I was at least smart enough to know if the two people that love me the most think there's something wrong and think I need extra help, that that should be a pretty big sign. So I, I don't even know how I found this woman, but I found her. She wasn't great. Like, I'll be honest, like, I don't. I knew pretty early she wasn't great, but I had been so sad and so miserable and so um, shut down that, and, and had kept so much inside that just the act of sharing my pain with somebody was a relief. So even though I knew she wasn't a great therapist and she wasn't doing... And this is somebody that has zero experience with therapy. I knew she wasn't good, but just the act of talking to her was helpful. So I did that for three months, and then eventually I was like, this is not... like. I grew out of her so quickly because she wasn't good and just the act of dumping my problems, um, was a, a little bit of a relief, but not a full relief. So then I stopped for six months. I think my boyfriend at the time dumped me. Um, I was losing, like I was deeply, deeply depressed, losing my mind. And, um, that's when I tried again and I went by a friend's recommendation and that woman has been my therapist for nine years.
0: 9 years
1: yeah and like keep in mind like the first 2 years i like diligently went her, went to her every week and like sometimes i would i would text her and be like i'm not okay like she was like i would say the first 2 to 3 years was the saddest i'd ever been in my life and she was probably like truly holding me up um And then as I've gotten better and as I've grown and matured, you know, I'll go times where I don't talk to her for like two months. Um, right now I kind of talk to her once, once every six weeks, like even though I'm still going to her, um, I don't feel like I need her the same way I needed her before. And I've even talked to a friend of mine, um, who has encouraged me to see somebody else because I do think you do grow out of people that I actually think I might be in a place where I might need somebody else, even though she is great and she hasn't stopped being great. My, um, almost like if you think about it in our career, like you might get a manager, like this boutique manager, when you're just like starting to have some buzz and people are paying attention to you, but then very quickly, there's only so much they can do for you. And you, now you're getting more opportunities than your manager and that's their whole job. So then you get to somebody that has even more connections. And now you're working with somebody that again, has more connections than you have. But then eventually as you become more, no, and maybe that's not the best, best example if you're not Hollywood wise, but it isn't too different from being a kid and growing out of your clothes where you're, you just, they no longer suit you anymore and they no longer protect you and cover you. And I think that can happen with, um, relationships, both friendship and, you know, romantic relationships. But I think that can happen with, uh, people that help you. Like, I I think you can grow out of, um, connections.
0: Yeah, it seems like you're always looking for opportunities for growth.
1: I I, I am. I, I mean, I think intrinsically I can't sit still. <laughs> I think I I feed off movement um and knowledge and I gain some kind of comfortableness in pushing myself. Like that that act of moving, both physical, like as a runner, as somebody that tries to stay healthy, as somebody that is a go, you know, go, go, go traveling person. But I think also I love reading. I love learning new things. Even if I, you know, I've learned so much in quarantine that I did not want to learn, but now I have to learn. Um, but I still like, there's so much, like I, this is probably one of the dumber things I'll say. I've been wanting to learn how to French braid my hair since I was like 10 and I've attempted a couple of times and it's so fucking hard for me to do it on myself. And then I have curly hair and then I'm also just dyslexic and a moron and I just couldn't figure it out. And I told my little sister, I'm going to figure it out. So I spent an hour last night trying to French braid my hair. Um, and, and almost on the verge of tears because it was so difficult for me. And I was like 14 year old girls with nine followers on YouTube can do this. You can do this, Liz. Like I'm watching YouTube tutorials on how to French braid hair in my thirties. And it was so important to me last night. And I don't, I don't know what that is.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, we, we are fascinated by new things, small or large. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's like braiding our hair or how to make my, my girl made French toast the other day. And I was like, yeah. I've never made French toast from scratch. And I mean, it's super easy, but it was still one of those things where I'm like, I want to learn how to make French toast. And, you know, so uh, I I definitely understand that drive to uh, you kind of want to push yourself in both directions where, you want to be in pursuit of major goals and big goals, but it's also fun and, and helps to balance you out to pursue the little things like sewing or French braiding your hair.
1: Yeah. I also just think, um, I mean, I feel like I did it. I My hair is French braided right now. It's not great. Um, I wouldn't truly brag about it, but I do think having – baby goals and having attainable stuff and also having things that aren't connected to your career are really important. So when all my goals are career based or, or success based or financial based, I think you can start to, when you fail, it's like, now I can't pay my rent as opposed to if I fail French braiding my hair. I mean, I did feel really dumb for a while being like, why can't I do this? But at the same time, it's wholeheartedly, a goal just for me. Nobody cares about it. Nobody loses if I don't do it. There's no financial gain or loss if I can't get it done. And I think it's important to have non um, non career goals as somebody that has a lot of career goals.
0: Yeah, because we could definitely become work, 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 and then that becomes super overwhelming, and you start to resent the work.
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: when you talk about like big goals and baby goals, like what, what's another like baby goal that you have?
1: Uh, ooh, um, stretching and, and foam rolling, <laughs> like, like just
0: seriously, though, for real, <laughs> it's so hard to stay consistent with that.
1: It's, it's the equivalent of, something like flossing or, um, (laughs) I think it's almost like washing your hands now for most people, like just something that should just, if it's for, it's for your health, it's for the best. I always feel better when I do it. I, I notice a difference yet consistently doing it every day, even for five minutes is like torture. It feels like torture.
0: Is, I don't know why. You know what? It's not fun. It's not Instagrammable. You, you can't. Yeah. You know the 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 real work is not the stuff that you can uh that that you typically would highlight. The the stretching, the foam rolling, the like you know you're a writer like doing morning pages, like yeah. the, it's like the grunt work of the the success you know kobe it's not
1: sexy it's not sexy
0: it's unromantic
1: yeah yeah i i just think you know and 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 maybe it is because we're in like a praiseworthy career that i'm like like i don't floss my teeth and like have four people clapping for me and i know i'm an adult and i shouldn't have to have people celebrate like we're not all two and nobody's clapping when we poop on the potty but i think there is a part of me that's like well why isn't there a parade for me foam rolling? Like they're like, I feel like now I should start foam rolling at 7 PM when they start clapping in New York, because then maybe I can be like, Oh, they do think this is great. (laughs) Like I am foam rolling. Thank you, America.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely, you know, like have a, uh, like your alarm timer set at the, you know, so that at the end, when you're done foam rolling, it it goes off and it's like an audience uh, applause. Or yeah, yeah. you can, yeah, I'm sure there's like a toilet. <laughs> yeah, there's a toilet flush sound that you can make that's like, <sighs> you know,
1: <just> Well, <laughs> what I find really interesting, even about making the poop on the potty comparison is so like my niece, my the way my sister has kind of gotten her kids to be potty trained and stuff is that she limits i mean who knows what she's doing in quarantine time but like before this she would limit how much ipad time they could have so if they if they you know peed on the potty pooped on the potty they would get five minutes of ipad time to the point where my niece was faking it like my niece would be like i peed and they're like there's nothing in the pot like we're not dumb (laughs) like i don't know what to tell you it's it's you know it's a empty bowl in the living room you know like the little portable potties that you make for kids and it's still dry, but I do feel like some of the ways I've gotten myself to do things I don't want to do. So a good example is, um, I don't like doing the dishes, but I allow myself to watch a YouTube video while I do the dishes. Same with, I hate taking off my makeup. I don't care about putting it on, but taking off my makeup is the most painful part of my day. Um, just, I hate it. I hate it so much. And so I, I've, I do almost what my sister does to my niece and nephew. I will be like, if you take off your makeup, you can watch a YouTube video. It's sad. I'm I'm
0: embarrassed. I (laughs) I do the same thing. Sometimes I do it to get myself out of bed. I'm like, Leo, if you get out of bed, uh, then then you get to shower. And I I hate getting out of bed, but I love showering. And I have to remind myself because there are mornings where I won't shower. I'll be like, I don't, I'm not going to shower. I go, but if you get out of bed, you can shower. And I go, all right, I'll get out of bed. Just so and I go, but but if I want to come back to bed, I can come back. And I'm like, you can come back to bed. If you shower, you can come back to bed. And I've I never I never want to come back to bed after I shower. I'm always like, all right, let's let's get the day going.
1: Once yeah, once you get it is funny how like once you get up, you're less like, um, what's the word? Uh, Whatever. I almost feels like you have like lay down brain and stand up brain. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like lay down brains like this is our life. Nothing matters. You're comfortable here. It's warm here. Why would you leave this? It almost feels like a parent that doesn't want you to go off to college. It's just like, why would you leave the safety of this home? And then as soon as I stand up, even if it's to make a cup of tea, even if it's because I want to grab something and get back into bed. Once I stand up, my brain's like, start your day. Start your day. You don't want to be laying down. This isn't who you are. Like, I just feel like there's two different voices. And depending on what, like, if my brain is horizontal or vertical, it talks to me differently.
0: But plus, when you're laying down, it feels like there's 20,000 pounds laying on top of you. Yeah. Like, it, the blanket somehow now weighs, like, like all the things in the world on top. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard to move this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then you stand up and your head is only what eight pounds like that Jerry Maguire fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, oh, this is better. This is OK. Yeah, I feel I feel lighter just standing,
0: <laughs> you know, and, and going to therapy because like, you know, going to online therapy, I definitely always feel lighter after a session. Like, I feel like, like, oh, I got that off my chest. Like, what a relief. Do you, Do you have that same feeling?
1: It depends on what we talked about in the session. Like I I'll be honest, there's been some sessions where I hang up or I've seen my therapist or, I, you know, now it's hanging up, but, um, I've hated her. I've been like, fuck her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. I've actually now learned that if I hate my therapist, she definitely hit like a trigger point and she's clearly hit something that I have to deal with and I'm taking it out on her. But like, there's definitely times where, like, I've had a good cry and I've been bottling it in, and it was helpful to talk to her. There's definitely times where I feel like I just it was too hard and it was too painful. And I'm going to take that anger out on her in my mind. And then I've had sessions where like, it was exactly what I needed at that moment. And I feel like I have new understanding of why I'm behaving a certain way or somebody in my life is behaving a certain way. And I can now approach it with more knowledge and understanding. And that's going to make the day go by the day or the week go by better.
0: Yeah. What, what is, what have you worked on that's helped you to understand yourself or other people better?
1: Um. Honestly, like not. Hmm. I. I mean, I definitely have like I don't think I'm good enough uh, bubble around me with almost everything I do, and it always seems to stem back to that. Whether it's like I don't think I'm pretty enough, I don't think I'm smart enough, I don't think I'm, uh, just. Uh, good enough at what I do funny enough, um, successful enough. Like it's always this revolving. I don't belong here or something's going to be taken away from me because I don't deserve it. Or, um, it's like that, but like anything from like physical, mental, emotional relationship career, like it just, it always kind of seems to stem back from that. And I try to be aware that when I'm angry, it's usually because somebody is pushing on that. I'm not good enough button, um, or, or just making me feel, yeah, basically making me feel what, like, I feel like I just have this like mental button that like somehow gets leaned on or pressed or somebody trips over it and it's constantly being triggered in ways that I don't realize. And I feel like every time I'm like super upset or super angry or, or uh, having a panic attack or flustered it's because that, that I'm not good enough trigger has been triggered, you know? Yeah, I, I do
0: know. Uh, you know, I, one of my therapists, uh, has me, has had me say I am enough. Uh, every day to myself and, and to, to say it in the mirror and to also write it down. What are some of the the soothing or coping skills that, that you've been given for
1: dealing with those? <laughs> I mean, I definitely, have, she's definitely written that on a card. I definitely have it on my desk. Um, uh, this isn't my problem actually weirdly helps because I think a lot of times people project their pain onto you, especially with me reading hate comments or people, um, online saying mean stuff. Um, friends sometimes saying stuff that might trigger me, even if it's accidentally. And I've had to, whenever I find myself very triggered, reminding myself that this actually isn't a, this isn't a real problem. You know, people are dying right now. People are overworked. People are worried about money. I'm included in some of this generalization. So everybody is on edge. Everybody is scared. Everybody is Um, anxious, people have disastrous stuff happening, people feel um, overwhelmed. And so even more so with people lashing out or being aggressive, it, it can be really triggering. And I think a lot of times before I respond to somebody, or if I'm in a place where I can't focus, I'm so upset, I have to remind myself that this isn't a real problem. And also sometimes this isn't my problem. If somebody doesn't like me, that's not really my problem. Maybe if I'm like holding a gun to their head, yeah, it's my problem. But if somebody watches my comedy or if somebody sees something I post or a friend, um, I don't wanna say if a friend misconstrues something because like I had my sister was upset about something I said in my own podcast. And I—and she wrote me a, a text. She basically texted me and said, hey, you said this and it really upset me. And I literally could not figure out why she was upset. I, was, I called her up and I go, hey, I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I'm not trying to say, you know, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong, but I am telling you, I actually, you need to explain why you're upset because I literally have no idea. And we kind of talked in circles for a bit. And then finally she said one thing that made me understand it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this is something you've never told somebody. So I therefore didn't know that that's extremely vulnerable for you. And so with certain people, I'm able to go, how, how can I be uh, the best version of myself with them? But with other people, especially again, with us being in the public eye and fans and comments and, you know, what have you, I have to go, if someone doesn't understand me, is it really my problem? If somebody misconstrues my material and does like, is that my problem? Like it's, there's two, we're too saturated right now. And, um it feels like everybody has access to us that like i said whether it's you're a performer and or just in your life like i feel so overwhelmed right now by how many people are texting me how many group t- texts i'm in zoom calls all that stuff it's like too much access and uh i've worried about telling people cuz who can say they're busy right now like it's kind of not true um but I've had to tell myself that if somebody doesn't believe me, or somebody's upset with me because I set boundaries, like I don't have time for this, or this is too much for me right now, um, or what have you, that it's not my problem if they misconstrue it and think I'm lying, or if they misconstrue it and and their feelings get hurt because I told them I don't have time for something like that's th- that's daily work for me.
0: Yeah, because it it feels so strange to set to set boundaries and. Well, because people don't understand the, the full scope of what you're going through. And and people are just looking at like your calendar. But people don't realize like there's an emotional space that needs to be had. There's just I, sometimes, as, especially as creative people, we just need dead space. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing in my calendar from one to three or two to six. But I, I need nothing to be in my calendar at certain parts of the day so I can recover and kind of just see what's in there and, and and see how to move. So sometimes I think we feel a little guilty when we say no to things that when we otherwise really could do it. But just emotionally and feeling wise, we, we just recognize that I don't have the emotional bandwidth to handle that.
1: Yeah. And also why have we been trained that putting our old our own needs first is selfish and and our own needs because like it's it goes back to that very cliche like you have to put the mask on yourself before you can put the mask on your child or whoever needs it on an airplane and it feels like people keep forgetting that like if i'm exhausted i can't be there for you if i'm overwhelmed or distracted i can't be there for you if you want me to be on your podcast but i'm like freaking out about something, I'm not going to be the best version of myself on that podcast. So I feel like more and more I've been able to set the boundaries, but I've, I still have a disconnect between not feeling guilty when I say no to people or feeling like people think I'm lying to them or even just caring in general, what people think of me when I set my much needed, very positive for me boundaries.
0: Well, I think that word selfish has, has such a negative connotation, and, and I think it's been, it's been misconstrued and, and, and abused. And, you know, I was just talking to my, my therapist this morning. And he was like, you have to practice being more selfish and, and thinking about yourself and what your needs are uh, so that, like you said, so that you can, you can give to others. What, what are some of the things you do to, to give to
1: yourself? Um, I would say running is like a big part for me. Like I, I definitely got into running when I was younger for probably not positive reasons. I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to like the way that I looked. I wanted to just look in the mirror and feel satisfied. And as I got into it more, I realized how healing it was for me mentally. I'm a very anxious person and it's the closest I think I've gotten to consistent, consistent meditating because it's alone time it's zone out time it's um those baby goals just for myself like very quickly it went from I want to lose weight to oh I want to see if I can get my mile down to eight minutes or I want to see if I can run a 5k or now you know I run marathons and 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 stuff like that so it's it's something I I solely do for myself and it's had nothing but positive um uh, connections for me mentally. And so I was, you know, I was one of the first proponents with my friends that I've always liked working out, but I think running specifically st- really kind of jailed when I was like 19, 20 and really started making it a part of my ritual, but a part of who I was. But um, like I have a couple of friends that just working out isn't what they want to do in a day, it's all painful. Um, And then, of course, they can easily be like, I don't have time for it. And I feel guilty when I do make time for it. And I remember telling a friend maybe like five or six years ago, I go, hey, if you had a meeting from one to two and I called up and I said, hey, can you can you call me at one? Would you feel guilty being like, no, I can't. I have a meeting. She's like, not at all. I was like, so what if that meeting was going to the gym? Like, would that make any difference? and she goes yeah i'd probably cancel it i go well then stop telling people you're going to the gym so start being like i ha- like even if you have to tell that white lie so i i started doing that for myself probably 10 years ago but i still kind of have to remind myself and reapply that to other things so now you know, if somebody goes, Hey, can you talk from one to two? I'll be like, Oh, I can't, uh, I have a meeting, but I'm happy to talk from two to three. And they'll be like, okay. And they don't need to know that that's working out just the same way that they don't need to know that might be that meeting might be therapy. Same way. They don't need to know that that meeting might be a nap. I just feel like I've, I've learned more to insert things that I need and then not take them out when other opportunities come, because how many, like nobody's going to, penalize you for making space for yourself if it has to do with work. So why can't you apply that to other things in your life?
0: Yeah, because it allows you, like you said, to show up so much better uh to your work. And, you know, I do a daily thing where I, I journal, I exercise, I read, I meditate and I and I, I do that in the morning and, you know, uh I tell you know, I tell my girlfriend that I'm doing it so that, you know, there's space and there's not interruptions. And then soon as I'm done, like, I feel so present after. I feel like I just, I just, I like, I want her 10 times more. And I just want to, I can't get enough of her. And I'm like, what do you need me to do? And it just, I, I, it gets me so excited about the rest of my day knowing that like I was able to take that time out uh, for myself. But like what you said, like I understand people, especially people who have kids. It's like, they could feel so guilty for taking that time out. So I love that calling it a meeting.
1: Yeah. And like my, my older, my older sister does CrossFit and, you know, she used to belong to the gym and the gym would have daycare, but you know, that's not an option anymore. And I, I mean, she's always been, she did a gymnast She was a gymnast until she was 22. She's always been like very fit and like, like just like a strong disciplined person. And what I find really fascinating now that she has three, she has three kids under the age of five, which is insane. And now she has zero daycare and she's a nurse. So like, she can't really rely on anybody else because she is, um, uh, one of the people that's, more likely to be exposed. So she kind of has to really quarantine away from everybody. And I find it so fascinating that I'll be like, Hey, I want to FaceTime you and the kids. And she'll be like, Hey, I'm working out. And whether that's like her husband watches the kids and she works out, or she does some kind of workout with, Where the kids are like around, like she'll do some kind of bench press and then she'll, she'll go play with the kids for five minutes and then she'll go do another bench press and then she'll play, play with the kids for five minutes. Like she's found a way to incorporate that into our world and make it non-negotiable. And I think if you can do that with working out, if you can do that with work in general, like your career, I think you can do that with your mental health as well.
0: I'll, you know, go, talk. Speaking of which, you know, you talked about like what got you into therapy was, uh, you know, feelings of you, you were sad and uh, you, you were unhappy for a moment when you, you know when you were twenty four. What were some of the things that that you did then to pull you out of that? Besides talking to the therapist, like what were some of the things you you worked on it that, that kind of um, leveled you out?
1: Um, I don't know if I had the tools then. Like truly, I, I. I What kept me going and what might have been accidental helpful is, like I said, running and and just creating that space of this is for nobody but me. This is my time. There's no goals other than to just a the first goal is just to get out of the house and do it. And then the second goal is to put in the miles or energy or whatever was. I I was working on for that session. And then stand-up has always been really helpful in a way that I'm writing, I'm expressing myself, I'm getting my frustration out, I get endorphins from it, uh, I connect with people. It's my way of spending time with a group of people slash when and where I see my closest friends. I I just don't think, I'm I'm a number, I, I can shut down really well and I can close off and push people away really well. It's it's always been my coping mechanism, and I still struggle to not let it get be my only way of coping in hard times. But I don't think I was dealing with anything, hence why there was this, I was very unhappy and there was this extreme buildup. So I wasn't really talking to my friends. I was seeing my friends, but I wasn't opening up to how much pain I was in, nor do I think I was able to acknowledge how much pain I was in. So uh, I think running was this accidental escape from my pain, both the endorphins I got from it and just the alone time and, um, uh, freedom I felt while I was doing it. And then stand up was my baby way of expressing my pain. Even if it was 10% pain, 80% getting laughter, I still was able to have this message. Like I have suicide jokes from five years ago. I have, um, Jokes about being anxious from years ago. I still have jokes about being anxious and the mental illness that runs in my family. But when I look at younger Liz and how she was dealing with stuff, I always kind of talked about it at a 10 to 20 percent level, as opposed to now I talk about it at a 70 to 80 percent level.
0: What you, with the suicide jokes, did you have an attempt?
1: I didn't. I had a plan when I was a teenager Um, how thought out and intelligent that plan was probably not really. Like, I don't think it was fully developed. It was like almost the same way you fantasize that, like, if you met Brad Pitt, you would hope that you looked the best you did. And you would say something smart. It was like, that was my plan with, with how I would have done something when I was a teenager. It was like, I think I might use pills and I'm going to do it when my parents are sleeping. But like, I don't think I really attempted. I just felt that I didn't want to be around anymore and that it can't be that hard not to be around. And I would feel better if I wasn't around.
0: You know, it it, it completely it makes sense because you, you talked about like feelings of like I don't belong here and. And belongingness, feeling like we belong, feeling like we're connected to the people around us is so valuable. It's like if you could give anybody a Christmas gift, it would be uh, like if I could give people that, like it would be the feeling of like you belong, like we want you here because it's such a powerful deterrent.
1: I just feel like they need to bottle up and make it a scent. Like people are like, Oh, what perfume are you wearing? You're like acceptance. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're like, Oh, that's the new, uh, you know, post quarantine, everybody's wearing it. Um, But I, I think one of my triggers is not being seen. I can see it with my boyfriend. I can see it with my friends. Like, I have such, and like clearly as a comedian, that is my favorite thing is being seen, but not even just the physical, like I'm standing in front of a group of people and I am seen, but like this mental thing where I'm, I'm showing my, my deepness to you, my honesty with you, my feelings and for it to be reflected back or acknowledged is so important. So the same idea that like, you know, you, you'll you go to those parties and you'll start talking to somebody. You'll be like, a, you know, a comic or somebody you haven't seen for a while. And you're like excited. You're like, oh, my God. Hey, Leo, it's so good to see you. And you're like, yeah. And then you watch their eyes look for somebody better to talk to Oh, like that. Painful. I can't. It's truly I would say that is that feeling is. One of my, like one of my lowest feelings, but it's something like, I think that's like, I have a lot of anxiety going to group things and like parties and stuff, but that that's the feeling I'm avoiding when I decide I'm going to go to a party. And then I don't, it's that like, I have such a hard time not feeling seen or feeling looked over or not being valued, um, that I will do just about anything to avoid that. And I think that's why people don't make new friends. I think that's why people stay with toxic relationships or toxic friendships, because at least you understand this version of feeling unseen, even if it is toxic. Um, But it's actually probably one of the main reasons I avoid a lot of social settings, because my friends would, I'm not going to say they would never make me feel that way, but if I told them they made me feel that way, they would They would apologize and they would do better. And you can't really go to somebody you barely don't know and be like, hey, I get that I'm not the most famous person at this party or I might not be your top choice of somebody to talk to right now. But you are talking to me. So either give me your full attention or make an excuse and leave. But this hurts. You're hurting me.
0: (laughs) You know, (laughs) I've just I've just reached that place where uh, I've started saying that it is by far one of the hardest things i've ever said and, wow and 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 I th- part of it is because of my conditioning right like as especially as a guy like we're not supposed to be hurt we're supposed you know it's like supposed to be like teflon bulletproof and i uh my my roommate at the time said something and I, and 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 i said to her i was like yo what you said hurt And it took all my energy to say that because I was like, like I'm telling a girl that she hurt me. Like when you're a kid on the playground, like you you were you would be clowned and and embarrassed (laughs) and shamed. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, we've all grown up with with either having experienced that or seeing it in the movies. And so we all received the message of Don't, if you don't be hurt and if you are hurt, don't show hurt because it's, it's not, it's not well received by anyone.
1: And don't tell them because there's nothing worse than being like, you're like, I could see you saying that very stoically and somebody being like, really? You're like, yeah, I don't need to be bawling in your arms to tell you that I'm hurt. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Like. Like, just because I'm not having a hissy fit or throwing something doesn't mean that you haven't hit me to my core. And so I think a lot of people, I am a very emotional person and I am a crier. It's a gift. Um, I can cry. I've cried in every comedy club. Um, That's my credit. Um, But I I do feel like sometimes I can be more composed and I could be like, hey, I know you didn't intend this, but it actually really hurt my feelings. And they're like, really? And I go, yeah, I don't need to be a mess to be hurt. And I think that's one of the things that is really hard for women to accept because so many men have been taught not to emote at all. But also, I think a lot of a lot of people, I think older generation, but women especially, have a hard time listening to men say that they have feelings because we've been told they're not allowed to have them.
0: Absolutely. I mean, like you couldn't I mean, even if you laugh too much or, uh, you know, even a positive feelings, you, you couldn't show too much of that, you know um and and so you grow up and and you get into a relationship and and your significant other is like hey how do you feel you're like I have no idea I, I spent the, I have I have zero idea what I feel like there's something going on but I don't know and it and you know I, I spent my whole life like numbing it like you said with food alcohol exercise you know exercise was my thing too uh like hiking like I would I remember on Saturdays I would I would go hiking for like three or four hours, and I I would also do uh, Bikram yoga for ninety minutes, and then take a boxing class. And that was just like, and 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 then still for like two hours later to be like, all right, what am I doing now? Like, still like have that anxiety like coursing through my veins because I can't be alone with my
1: thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave me with myself. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean like you you talked about like the physical way you escape, but it sounds like you also have like a close relationship with your sister. Does that help you cope with some of of the feelings and emotions?
1: Yeah, I mean I now have a very close relationship with my sister. I've also like me like I would say my sister's like one of my best friends and it took a lot of work for us. We're very similar so that's both helpful and negative, but it, it it's been a lot of work and we can easily trigger each other. And now I think we have one of the most ideal relationships, whether it's a sister relationship or a friendship relationship. Like she's the person, like the fact that my sister said I hurt her feelings and my immediate immediate thought wasn't fuck her or I didn't mean to so she can eat a dick. Like my, my first thought is, oh shit, what did I do? And then what I didn't, I literally did not understand. I was like, she kept being like, it's fine. And I go, it's not fine because I still don't understand what I did wrong. So let's You keep talking until I figure it out or we figure it out. And we did after about five minutes, she told me what, what it was. And I go, that's the problem is I didn't know this was something you were sensitive to. And and I know that sounds silly, but at the same time, it was when I say this was, I don't want to say what she was upset about was silly, but there was no way that I would have known It was about her owning a pet, by the way. Like, it was about, I don't want to say what the pet was because she's embarrassed that she had this pet. But that's what it was. It was about her owning a certain pet when she was a kid and she hadn't told any of her friends that she had this pet. And I was like, oh. I had. First of all, I had no idea that was, like, some deep, dark secret. Like, I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I couldn't. Until she told me that she had never told anybody but her husband, I was like, oh, okay, now I understand. And then I was able to be like, okay, I didn't know that. I apologize. Do you want me to edit out of the podcast? She was like, absolutely not. It's fine. Like, and like, what can I do to repair this? So it's first understand, then it's repair, and then it's kind of learning from my mistakes. But I, I, it took a long, long time. And we already started from a good place but we could ease because we loved each other and because this relationship like a sister or a mom or a dad or what have you feels permanent, I think there there's you're more willing to work on it than maybe a, a regular friendship but I also think it can be more toxic than because you have your whole life is history. like some people's longest relationships are their sibling relationship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it points out to a, a, a huge thing that I think a lot of people do in relationships is mind reading. It's like if, if we don't take the time to ask each other questions, really dig deep as to what's hurting you, what's bothering you, what's, what, what's triggering you, uh, then we're doing a lot of mind reading. And I think uh, the, on both sides, like the one person thinks, well, we have all this history together, so you should know this about me without me having to tell you. And then the other person is like, "Well, you know, clearly it must be A, B, and C. I'm just going to make some assumptions. And if you don't really ha- take the time, I mean, like you said, in five minutes, you guys came to a resolution uh, instead of instead of mind reading. You, you got some clarity on the confusion.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, and I'm fortunate that she's been in therapy. We've like it's been fucking work. It's it's real work and you know, I'm not going to say that there's not like the best example of how strong our friendship is, is, you know, she'll call me up. She'll have a bad day. She'll call me up and she's like, Hey, I just need a vent. And I'll go, Em, I'm just, I'm in a bad mood. I didn't sleep. I'm really overwhelmed. I just, I don't think I could be there for you the way you need me to. And I think it would make it worse. And she goes, okay, bye. (laughs) Like, because there'd be times that she calls me up. I feel like it's a duty for me to listen and be there for her. But like I said, I'm not I didn't have a good day or I'm overwhelmed or I'm super busy and she'll be, and she'll get mad at me. She'll be like, what the fuck? Like I'm having a bad day. And all you're saying is like, sound like I, sometimes like when I'm really tired, I become my father and instead of listening, I'm just giving advice nobody wants. And so I would start, I would like when I'm tired or anxious or stressed, I'll start being an older or less present version of myself. I'll like revert And it'll cause so much, so many problems with everybody I talked to that day. So now I've learned to be honest with her and know that she has a husband. She has other friends. She has, you know, peers that she could talk to. And I don't, well, I might be her first choice and somebody to vent to. and, And the first choice of somebody to talk to, it's, if I can't be there the way that it would be helpful, it's okay to say that. And that's been the best thing for our friendship.
0: Yeah, you don't have to be the first responder, you know. Uh, yes. It sounds like the, the sound changed. Did you move further away from the mic or closer to the mic? What'd you do? You laying on your back?
1: I did nothing. I did nothing.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, you did something because now it sounds different.
1: Okay, I picked up the phone. Maybe I got lazy. <laughs> you know, holding a phone—that's real work. Nobody's. It, it's, it.
0: it's so much work. How do you hold up, Liz? How do you not have a phone holder at this point? I mean, with all the FaceTiming and Zoom meetings and all that stuff. Like I bought all the things I bought. I got, I got the, the, what is it? The, the halo light, the, the foam, the, the phone holder, the zoom. Uh,
1: um, what's funny about that is I'm with my boyfriend right now and he has done the exact same thing. So he is blinged out, but those are his contraptions. And I don't like, I don't want to bother with them. I don't want to learn about them. I don't want to have to ask for permission. I don't want to be responsible if I break them. So I just, you know, they're not mine. And I, don't want to deal and they're his new toys that and i would never buy those toys unless i absolutely needed to and i have no money coming in so i clearly i'm like i'll just you know i have a hand um i'll continue to use that um but yeah i am i am still in like 2005 contraption level i
0: i I love it and and you're you're like one of the most creative people i remember you talked about like you had an app uh, that are you still working on that app that for comedians?
1: yeah, of course it was it for people that travel and that isn't a thing we do anymore so it's you know just like everything it's on hiatus, but it was going really well. It's basically a, uh, a um an app is probably an easy way to describe it, but it was a program that helped uh, performers collect email addresses and really any information they want while traveling from place to place via text message. And um, I have like 30 beta testers. It was going really well, but like everything, it, it was con, it, conducive. It was, it was connected, I guess is a better way of saying it, but it was connected on performers traveling. And I don't travel anymore and there's no gatherings anymore. So it's all kind of on pause.
0: I love it. What When, when you think about like your, your routine and, and, and your mental health, are you doing other things to stay stable? Because uh, are you still taking meds or are, are vitamins? Like, what, what's your what's your routine for that?
1: So I still take vitamins. I, they've they've lessened a lot. I had when we first became friends, I had a lot of medical problems. I had a lot of stomach issues and a lot of allergies, and I was just in like the begin, like in the early stages slash middle stages of getting better. And my stomach issues are like. I would say like 80% better and I'm not as restrictive with my diet. I take less vitamins. Um, you know, even my mental health is a lot stronger than it was when we first met. So my routines, I don't want to say they're bare minimum, but they're not as strict as they were when we first toured together and became friends. So, you know, I, I, most mornings, you know, make breakfast, take my vitamins, um, I try to do a lot of admin work because I don't enjoy doing admin work, like writing emails, checking emails, following up with stuff. Um, what have you, I try to do it earlier in the day because I don't want to do it. And as I get more tired, I make more excuses. And then I tend to do more, um, writing, I used to do all my writing like an hour before I went to go do a show. And now I've had to, because that's not true, I've had to kind of change when that comes in. Same with running. I used to run, um, in the afternoon or to work out in the early afternoon so that I could shower and then do the creative stuff. And again, there's, this is kind of really taken a hit on my routine, but those things still get done in some capacity. But the stuff I do for my mental health is, like, at this point, like, under quarantine, it would be, like, making sure I text or call my friends, making sure I actually take a break because I'm a bit of a workaholic. Like, it sounds silly, but I feel so much guilt towards watching stuff and not working that that's why I'll do something that is work work-like, like, washing the dishes, but I get to watch YouTube so it's like I get this thing done that needs to get done. But then I also get to have a mental break by vegging out in some capacity and watching something.
0: You know, earlier you talked about reading. What what's uh, something that's fiction that you've read that is you felt like has given you some insight into yourself or into life or, or that you would want to give to someone else?
1: So, you know, reading has been a big part of how that's like the closest thing I can do to relaxing in a lot of ways. And I I used to I'm, I'm dyslexic. So I used I'm a very slow reader. But even as a slow reader, I used to read like 25 books a year and that because of traveling and just being tired and just how hard it is on my brain has really died in a lot of ways. And I went down to like five books a year. And so my goal truly this year was to get back up to something around 10. And I'm doing a lot better. I mean, I used to read mostly on the subway and while I was on planes and that's not happening right now. So I've been trying to read like before I go to bed, but I, I'm a, I do read fiction and I am reading more fiction, but the things that have had impact on me haven't really been fiction. Now I think good fiction, you can learn a lot about yourself because some strong characters are based in real, um, personalities and ideologies and, and, good character writing can mirror back to you. But I feel like I've learned more from like memoirs that I've read or, or just, uh, getting to know like these kind of, like, I read a book, God, like eight years ago called like the power of habits. And I learned a lot from that or probably one of the books that has had the most impact on me is called give and take, um, which is actually about the, what's the word? um impact of being a giver, a taker, or a matcher. So a giver being somebody that gives more than they takes, a, a taker, somebody that takes more than they give, and a matcher is tit for tat. And it was as somebody that tries to give back in any kind of capacity, whether it's like you might email me and be like, hey, who's the booker at the the punchline in san francisco and i'd be like oh it's this person make sure you say this they usually get back to you on tuesdays like that is like something i love doing and being able to be a resource for somebody but i found myself getting burnt out by takers actually hurting my feelings by like Inundating me with requests and never understanding that what I'm giving them is real value and taking advantage of me, and I was at a really bad place in my life where I felt like my generosity was being taken advantage of, and it was making me bitter and angry. And I didn't like that w- the way that made me feel. And that book truly reversed. It, I was I was on the brink of not being a good person anymore because it, I was being burnt out by bad people. And that book taught me how to be a good person better and more sustainably as I got older uh, and, and helped me set boundaries.
0: And uh, can you give us an example of, of how it's like a uh, you setting a boundary or like, what, what does that look like?
1: So here's a good example. Um, this is how I met my boyfriend. Um, I was touring. Actually, I met my boyfriend, even though I didn't know he was going to be my boyfriend right after we toured together almost four years ago when we did that whole European tour um, or Middle East tour. And so what had happened? I was in London at the time, and I was getting ready to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And a friend of my now boyfriend did a group, like a group intro, and he goes, he was like, "Hey, this is Justin. Uh, Justin's about to tour Russia and Scandinavia. He's looking for contacts." I told him, "You've toured everywhere. If you could share anything, I, I, you know, we would really appreciate it." And at first, I was a little annoyed because he automatically just threw me in the trenches with this dude, and it's like, "I don't know you. I'm super busy. You know, whatever." But he wrote back and he was like, hey, I'm sure you're busy, but um, I'm going in a couple of weeks. It would really mean a lot to me if you have any leads. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. So I was like, hey, I'm a little slammed right now. But if I don't get back to you in a couple of days, remind me. So, of course, I forgot. He reminds me. I spent an hour writing every contact I had in Scandinavia. I was like, here's a dude in Sweden. This is why he's good. This is why he's bad. Here's a dude in Norway. This is why he's good. This is why he's bad. Here's a show I did here. This is what I liked about it. This is what might be problematic. I really like thoughtfully wrote him what could help him on this tour he was putting together. And he came back like, oh my God, this is so above and beyond. I am so grateful. Thank you so much. It really means a lot. And I was like, oh, here's somebody again, which we go back to. Here's somebody that sees me, sees my value, sees that I took real time to help a stranger. This is so nice. And I felt seen. Did I get anything back? No. All I got back was the fact that I did something nice for somebody else and they understood that that was, that was real knowledge and real work to do that. So then what happened is a week later, I was at the Edinburgh fringe festival and his best friend is a writer for Seth Meyers. And he happened to be at the fringe festival just to like see shows. And he goes and he invited that guy to my first show. He he did the same intro. He goes, Hey, this is my buddy, uh, Ben. He's at the fringe. I told him to go see your hour um, be, go be friends. So here's a guy I've never met already introducing me to somebody else, already giving me an audience member. And I just, it was that level of kindness and thoughtfulness and seeing the work I had put in. And so that, I mean, that butted into us being friends and then us eventually dating. But the reverse of that is I've had comics go, Hey, I'm going to be in LA. If you know any shows, I would really appreciate it. And I go, sure. And I'll give them this crazy list. I'm talking like 40 shows, super details, you know, all this stuff. And I've had them not get back to me. I've had them be like, thanks. Like just like a flippant, like I was their secretary. Like, I'm just like, and I'm like, okay, that was your freebie. You got something from me. You didn't see the value in it. I'll never spend that much time helping you again. And you've released me from this obligation, because you don't, you don't see my value and you don't see that this was a gift. And that's what that book has kind of done for me. And that's, what's kind of changed my habits as, as opposed to before, if somebody, if I did this long list of LA shows and they wrote back nothing, or they wrote back thanks when they would come back again and ask me a favor, I'd be angry. I would still do it because I felt like it's the right thing to do to help others, but I would be mad about it. I would talk bad about them behind their back. I would feel taken advantage of. I would have a chip on my shoulder. It would affect relationships because clearly I was doing that over and over again and it kept happening over and over again. And now this lack of being seen, this lack of appreciation, this kind of taker mentality from other people, I I now can go. So now when that person comes back and goes, hey, do you also have this? I could be like, you know what, man, I actually don't. I'm so sorry. And you'd be surprised saying no to somebody once that's a taker. They'd be like, oh, this person's not a resource. And then you never hear from them again. And so I don't know. It, it really helped me be a not only a, a, the person I wanted to be, but it made me be an even better person to the right people because now I have time for them.
0: Wow. I love that. Helped you be a better person to the right people. Whoa. <laughs> no, seriously, it's like, because we don't realize how much energy we're, we put into the wrong people. And then, you know, it's, it's like the person who is a workaholic. They, they put all their energy into work. Then they come home and they have no energy for their wife and their kids and, and, and you know, the, the other people that also matter to them. Because some, some people have, a, have jobs that are, that are just taking everything from them or, or yeah. people. And then they don't have anything to disperse to the people who really, who really care and love them yeah what uh uh what was i gonna say uh we're coming up on an hour uh liz i really appreciate you taking all this time to, yeah. to share your journey um is there anything that we haven't talked about that that you think would be valuable to to people in terms of your your mental health journey that you're like you know all people sh- i wish all people knew this or, or more people should practice this or w- whatever.
1: Um, I mean, honestly, therapy is just such an important part of my life, but I understand that people have a lot of reservations with it, whether it's like kind of group therapy or individual therapy. So I think I always kind of say, if you're not ready to be vulnerable in that way, I don't love self-help books. I I do love them. That's actually a false statement. I do love self-help books, but I've learned to realize that there's a limit to how much they can help because there's a lot of blind spots that one has and you can only fix what you know about And, um, I think a lot of people shield themselves from knowing about really painful spots. And there's just things that I think self-help books couldn't help with all that being said, I think it is a great start to read. Like, I love Brene Brown, her, her YouTube. It's like one of the highest viewed Ted talks of all time is her, um, talk on vulnerability. Um, she also did a talk for Oprah about trust and how to build up trust. I'll rewatch those even today, I'll rewatch those. So I also feel like if financially or emotionally therapy or group stuff like AA or OA or NA, you know, all the alcoholic anonymous things, um, aren't, are too much. Um, there is nothing wrong with doing a little bit of work on your own and learning how to analyze some of your bad habits in the safety of your home or the safety of your own mind. Um, And I think that just the same way that like somebody might be like, I want to lose weight, but I can't afford a gym and, um, I, um, I don't want to run and you go, okay, well walk, start with walking, like start with something that like, you don't need to buy any new gear for, and you can just step out of the house and do it on your own. And I think self-help books can kind of be the walking, um, comparison to therapy and running.
0: Absolutely. And I ask this question of all my guests, because I feel like there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them?
1: You matter. Like, I think, I think when you're in that headspace, you think I don't matter. Nobody cares. Nobody will ever care, but I think everybody matters. And I've had a lot of people in my life not in that in that place and, and truly thinking about ending their lives. And if you don't feel like you have anybody to talk to to say you matter, I think you need to start being that person for yourself. So some people can lean on a friend and the friend will go, you matter. And some people don't have that right now, but that's not that doesn't mean that you don't. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself is be your first friend and let yourself know that you matter, that what you do matters, who you are matters, your health matters, your happiness matters. And if you are at a place where you think you don't matter, that's where you need to start.
0: So powerful. Thank you for sharing those insights. Thank you all listeners for listening in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for, for going to get help for, for, Going to therapy or getting a therapist or getting a coach or a counselor or or talking to your sibling or sister, uh, talking to yourself uh, with with more compassion and kindness and, and you know, peeling back those layers and finding out what's really going on instead of numbing the pain with alcohol and drugs and and maybe even exercise. Uh, Go to ThriveWithLeo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, and let's get to
1: tomorrow together. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Leo.